Good morning. How you guys doing this morning? Are you guys awake? Who's not awake in the room? Raise your hand if you're not awake. Good job being honest. Jesus loves you. Now wake up. All right? Why don't you guys stand up? We'll get this morning started off with some worship.
turn around. Say hi to somebody preferably you don't know. And if there's somebody around you that you do know, don't be rude. Still say hi to them. But then go find somebody you don't know. With that, we're going to go ahead and pray and continue to worship through giving. So let's pray. God, we thank you for all that you've given to us. Lord, when we consider our lives and the blessings that you've afforded to us, we are, we are not worthy. You are a gracious, gracious Father that has given us everything that pertains to life and that much more. This morning, this, this holy day, this Lord's day that we gather as a church to honor you, we want to do so with the first fruits of that which you've given to us, this offering. You use it for your kingdom. We want to give to you our lives and our voices, our attention to your word. And Lord, as we, uh, in a moment, get into the study of your word on, on the need to proclaim the truth, help us to stand on the truth and proclaim that truth without fear. But first and foremost, may we praise you even now without fear. Holy Spirit, inspire our worship. That we would worship in spirit and in truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Victory, 
we're going to sing a pretty classic song. It's a song that's literally uh, as old as me. Like, literally, like, came out, like, actually, technically, it's older than me. It came out two years after I was born. Uh, but it's a, it's a song that I remember my dad singing, and my dad was a strong man of faith, and I remember um, he would, like, have his Bible out, and he'd be, like, you know, eating his Cheerios in the morning. And then before he would leave for work, I would hear him humming just different songs, different hymns, and this was one of them. And I don't know if you know the story behind this song, but uh, Bill and Gloria Gaither wrote this song. And one of the things that you can look it up on YouTube, if you can hear her tell her story. But one of the things she said was this song actually started with the second verse that most churches never sing. Literally, which is how sweet to hold our newborn baby and feel the pride and joy he gives. But greater still, the calm assurance this child can face uncertain days because Christ lives. And this song was literally written out of her, her desperation and, and, and her husband's desperation. They were pregnant with their third child. And thinking of the wars and the different political things that were going on and the, just the turmoil of, the, of the, that time. And at the same time, every parent knows that feeling of, like, how can I bring a child into this, like, evil world? How can I, how can I bring a child? And how, how is this child going to live? And that's where this song was, like, born from. So I would really encourage you guys as we sing this song. Some of you guys know this song really well. Um, I'm going to attempt to sing it the best way I know how, from my heart. And so uh, I would encourage you to sing it with that thought and understanding that this is an anthem, if you will, of why we can be who we are as Christians. Why we can face this world and face the troubled times. Because Christ lives. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I
face in certain days because Christ lives. Amen. Because He lives, I can face tomorrow because He lives. All fear is gone because I
God, God, we know that um, our life is in your hands. God, we know that um, the truth that you've given us, God, to share is, is in our hearts. God, help us to proclaim the simple truth. Help us to be who you want us to be, God. God, I pray that this morning as we hear from your word, 
that you would speak clear to each and every heart that's in here this morning, Lord. That you would help us to remove the distractions, Lord, and give you the honor and glory you deserve. God, that we would hear your word in a, in a way that just speaks exactly to us. God, we, uh, I know, we're, Lord, I, I get worried about praying for conviction, God, but I pray for conviction of the Holy Spirit in this room. Because we need it, God. We need you to change us from the inside out so we can be exactly who you want us to be, God. Not who we want to be, but who you want us to be. So, God, I pray this morning that you do your work here this morning amongst us. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would, open up your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1. That's where we're going to be this morning. Dietrich Bonhoeffer once said this, Silence is, in the face of evil, is itself evil. God will not hold us guiltless. Not to speak is to speak. Not to act is to act. One of the things that we learned in our men's ministry, one of the key elements is to reject passivity and accept responsibility. Do you guys remember that? It is a call for us to be able to stand firm and to stand fast, to be able to proclaim the truth. And proclaiming the truth is the primary mission of the church. The church is not meant to be a social club. The church is not meant to be a gathering that speaks warm fuzzies into your ears and makes you feel well. The church is to be a hospital to help those that need healing to be healed. The church is here to proclaim the truth. Not just within these four walls, but to the world that's around us. And to stand silent when the world is dying for lack of truth, as Bonhoeffer would say, is an act of evil. And God's going to hold us accountable. We need to be able to proclaim the truth of God's Word as that is our primary mission. So why don't we? Why don't we proclaim the truth? Well, perhaps fear. Intimidation. Worried what other people are going to think. What, worried what other people are going to say. Worried what the world is going to say. Worried of persecution. Worried of losing my job. Losing my friends. Losing my family. There's a lot of reasons why we do not proclaim the truth of God's Word. Where we sit passively by and, and allow lies to continue and allow people to be able to, to believe those lies. We need to pro, bat, proudly proclaim the truth. Because that's what God has called us to. To go and to make disciples, to tell the truth, to speak the truth. Paul is writing this letter to the church of Philippi as he is imprisoned in Rome. Now, there's a lot going on in Paul's life. Paul was in prison because of those that didn't care for his political, religious position. The Judaizers didn't like him. Rome didn't like him because he was, he was wreaking havoc. And it was difficult. The church wanted to know how Paul was doing while he was in Rome. And so, 
while Epaphrodites would come and visit him and be able to give a report, Paul thought it would be really good to give a report from him, himself, from his own hand, while he's in prison within this. He needed to encourage the church. Why? Because as their spiritual leader and, and the, the super apostle, the chief apostle at that time, had been removed and arrested, the church had become discouraged. They become fearful because, well, if that happened to Paul, then what, what's going to happen to me if I stand for the gospel? Am I going to get thrown in jail? Am I going to, am I going to be put into prison and, and all of these things? <clears throat> and there was this group that was running around trying to silence the church, and that was these Judaizers. They were going, well, Paul's great, but he's not giving you all the message. You need to come back and you need to go back into Judaism, really to have the complete message of the salvation, which was a lie. Now, are there people in our world today that are professing lies? Maybe a few. They have a new truth, an alternate truth, the special truth, and all these other truths. There is only one truth, and that is God's truth. And it comes from the Word of God. And to be able to proclaim that proudly within this. And Judaizers were opposing Paul, and that was part of the riots that were going on. The other group that was having a problem with Paul in the Gentile world, was the idol makers, the idolaters, right? Because they were losing money. Here's this guy that's saying there is only one God, he's a true God, and he's not made out of wood or, or stone or any of these other things. Those are all false gods. So the idol makers, they had a problem with Paul because, you know, the silversmiths, they were losing money because he was preaching the truth within that. And even internally, within the church body at the time, we're have, there was people having a problem with Paul. And you say, well, how does that happen? I thought they were all Christians. Aren't all Christians supposed to get along? Well, we're supposed to. But the difficulty is, there was a jealousy that was happening within the church, among the brethren within the church, because Paul was, by all intents, a super apostle. He was chosen by God. He was very effective in evangelism. He was starting churches. And there were some people that were going, you know what? We want it. We want that position. So internally, they became very jealous, saying, I want that job. So maybe Paul needs to go away. Is there ever jealousy within church ministries and pastoral ministries? Absolutely. You know, and, and, and I got to say, one of, the, one of the ways and one of the worst things you can do and pastors are notorious for this. When you get a group of pastors together at a conference or something like that, you know, there is one question that usually is asked, at least at some point in the conversation. More importantly, it's like, where are you pastoring? They'll answer it. How many people are you going to your church? You know, and, and that happens. Why? Because it becomes a sense of, of pride and... and size and all this and so you get these churches or these mega churches and people believe that those that are that are leading mega churches are are more spiritual than others and that is that is a lie the body of christ has been commissioned with proclaiming the truth in whatever context you find yourself in paul was called by God to go and to preach the gospel. In fact, in John, or I'm sorry, Acts chapter nine, verses fifteen and sixteen, it says this: "But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a, a chosen instrument. This is Ananias. 
of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the sons of Israel, for I will note, show him how much he must suffer for my namesake. Paul is going to be a super apostle that's going to be super thumped. He's going to be whooped on. He's going to, he's going to endure all of these different trials. And in, in suffering these trials for proclaiming the truth, Paul is going to endure some great repercussions as a result of that. Paul will be imprisoned in Jerusalem, suffering riots, beatings, stonings, two years imprisonment in Caesarea, appealing to Caesar, traveling to Rome, shipwrecked, and all of these things rejected. It was lonely at the top for Paul. But when you think about it, Paul was compelled to proclaim the gospel. Satan seeks to silence the gospel through intimidation and through fear, through jealousies, even personal biases. My encouragement to you this morning as we walk through these passages and these verses, that you become very courageous in proclaiming the gospel. That you speak the word of God without fear. That you speak the word of God in a manner that proclaims the gospel and, dare I say, even recklessly, with boldness. Paul did, because the gospel of Jesus Christ is the most important thing that you could ever share and proclaim. We're going to read through our passage this morning in Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 to 18. Let's stand as we uh, read through this passage. Philippians 1, 12 to 18. Now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel, so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else, and that most of the brethren trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ even from envy and strife, but some also from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, rather than from pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. What then? Only that every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. God... We ask that you would bless the reading of your word, that Holy Spirit, you would be our teacher this morning. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. So we come to verses 12 and 13 of this passage, and there is a, a, a fallacy in Satan's thinking. Satan thinks that he can imprison the gospel. Can you imprison the gospel? Can you take the gospel and the person preaching the gospel, put them in prison and silence them? No. No, you can't within that. Paul talks about his circumstances. Now I want you to know. I want who to know? Church of Philippi, but church at large. I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel within this. God uses tools in the hands of his people to be able to accomplish his work. In David's hand, he put a sling. In Moses' hand, he put a staff. 
In Paul's hands, he put chains. The chains were tools that were used for the progress of the gospel within that. His chains opened doors that were locked. They were closed to Jesus. Paul's chains took him to a place in the Roman government, in the Roman Empire, that the gospel didn't easily go. Went into the praetorium within that. And, and those chains allowed Paul to be able to go and to share the gospel with a group of people that were idolaters, that were hard. It would be like becoming a, a chaplain to the Navy SEALs to be able to go in. Because the, they're so focused. These were the bodyguards of, of Caesar. And these hardships had a plan. In 2 Timothy 2.9, it says, For which I suffer hardship, even to the imprisonment as a criminal. But the word of God is not imprisoned. The word of God is not imprisoned. It's, a, it's the ability to be able to utilize these circumstances in our lives. Now, Understand, we don't always like those circumstances. But do you know that God has ordained your circumstances as a means to which you can share the gospel and proclaim the gospel? Paul didn't wake up one morning and say, hey, look, you know what? I want to become a prisoner and go and be beaten and stoned. No. Just like you didn't wake up one morning and, and say, God, please give me cancer so I can go and, and minister to doctors or to surgeons. We have an older gentleman in our body that uh, has had to have so many surgeries that he has a private parking space at the, at the hospital. He had a procedure a couple weeks ago, and he was actually looking forward to it. The procedure? No. Because he had a targeted group of people that he was planning on witnessing to. I kind of like that. It's like, if I got this, bring it on. In whatever circumstances or context that you have in your life, these circumstances are divinely ordained so that you can proclaim the gospel. Instead of looking at them as a bad thing, look at the opportunity as a good thing. Because God is working out in your life this opportunity to speak. Satan wants to silence the gospel through fear and adversity. And if he can get you afraid... If he can get you into a place where you're walking around so depressed that you can't open your mouth and speak the word of God, then Satan wins. If he gets you to a place where, where the adversity becomes so overwhelming that you no longer display your trust and your, your, the power that God has given to us. If you think of Romans 1.16, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for everyone. We might have, what? 200 plus people in this room right now, and I don't know how many of you are watching online, and every one of you all have a different context and different set of circumstances that's going on in your life. And you have a choice. Am I going to allow Satan to have the victory in taking these circumstances to silence me? Or am I going to embrace these circumstances and look for them as opportunity to be able to share the gospel, to proclaim the gospel within that? Paul says this, and this is the right perspective. All of this has happened for the progress of the gospel within that. And this suffering. And it wasn't like he didn't know it was going to happen. Agabus had told him, when you go to Jerusalem, if you remember that whole thing, you're going to get arrested. Acts 21, 11 to 13. 
And coming to us, Agabus, took Paul's belt, bounded his own feet in his hands, and said, This is what the Holy Spirit says. In this way, the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt, deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard this, we as well as the local residents began begging him not to go to Jerusalem. And then Paul answered, What are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but even to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. That's somebody that is sold out for the proclamation of the gospel. Why? Because it was the gospel that transformed his life. It's the gospel that gave him life. Has the gospel changed you? Has it transformed your life and given you life? If it has, then please, with great joy, share it in every circumstance in the context of your life. The, The Roman church that was surrounding Paul in the context of his imprisonment, saw Paul being in prison as the death to the ministry, the death to the church planning. Paul is in prison. He's not getting out of this. And the movement is going to die. Rome wins. Paul encourages and he says, no, this is for the progress. It's interesting. The Greek word prokopen in this, literally is a military term, and it means advancing into enemy territory. Paul saw his arrest, his imprisonment, to, as an advancement into enemy territory, taking the gospel where it doesn't normally get to go. And that's the advantage that we have in these circumstances. And so he says, My circumstances have turned out for the advancement of the gospel into enemy territory so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known to the whole Praetorian Guard and everyone else. This witness, this positive perspective. He would write to Timothy in his last letter to his son in the faith, Timothy, in 2 Timothy 4.17. He says, but the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that through me the proclamation might be fully accomplished, and that all the Gentiles might hear, and I was rescued out of the lion's mouth. Paul was ready to die proclaiming the gospel. He didn't care. Why? Because the priority is proclaiming the gospel. Why? Because the gospel proclaimed has the power unto salvation for everyone who believes. And he felt, as Jesus did, That one individual's salvation is more important than his temporal security or comfort. He's not trying to save his life. He's sold out. And Satan's attempt worked against him. How did it work against him? Well, he says the whole Praetorian Guard. Now, the Praetorian Guard were the specialists. There was 900 in total in the Praetorian Guard. There were different cohorts that were there. There was, again, nine nine different cohorts that were all together. Three of the cohorts were assigned just to Rome itself. And they were assigned for Caesar's bodyguard. And so these were the innermost people, the people that were closest to Caesar. Think about it. Would Caesar trust his bodyguards? Absolutely. And these bodyguards on rotation, Paul had to rent a house in Rome, and he was under house arrest, and these these guards had to rotate on shift two at a time to be with Paul 
in this house. What were they witnessing during that whole time? Well, they were witnessing the writing of all of the prison epistles. They were witnessing the conversations that, was, that Paul was having with all of the Christians who were coming in and visiting him on a regular basis. They were constantly exposed to gospel conversation. They were constantly exposed to the truth of God's word. They would come, they would hear it, and they would leave. They would come, they would hear it, they would leave. Now, when you spend that much time with somebody that's respected, and by the way, they all would hear why this guy was arrested. Paul, you seem like an educated guy. Why were you arrested? (laughs) You really want to know why I was? Yeah, I really want to know why I was arrested. Well, let me tell you about Jesus. And he would have that opportunity to be able to share. And they would say, well, this is ridiculous. Why don't you just denounce this Jesus, accept Caesar as supreme, and you can get out of here? No, because I'm not going to deny Christ. Paul would have these conversations with these guards so that this word would be transferred. And imagine the conversations that would be had back in the barracks. Were you with Paul last night? Yeah, I pulled shift with Paul. What did you guys talk about? And have those conversations. Evangelism is much more than the Billy Graham for spiritual loss. Evangelism is a lifestyle that talks about Jesus. And it's a lifestyle that's demonstrated through actions. Paul's actions and his boldness of speaking the word in prison brought an encouragement to these hardened soldiers. Notice how he says it was manifesting Christ. How do you manifest Christ? Not just only in words, but your life. Do you really live what you believe? The answer is yes, we all do. Well, then what does your life demonstrate? How does your life manifest Christ in all aspects? As I said, they knew he was a religious prisoner, but they were finding out it was more about his relationship. In Luke 9, 23, 24, we see this where Jesus would say, it says, and he was saying to them all, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must, note, deny himself, take up his what? Cross daily and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. Paul would never deny Christ. And this was amazing to the self-centered Roman guard that were all about saving their own lives and making their own money and and having their own pleasures. Hmm. Is that similar to the people in the world today? Have you ever had anybody ask you, so why are you a Christian? That should be a question that comes up. It takes time to proclaim the truth. And it takes investment. And it takes boldness. Verses 14 to 17, Paul would say in this letter that we need to speak the word of God without fear. Notice what he says, And most of the brethren trusting the Lord because of my imprisonment have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Why? Because they're looking at the boldness of Paul and saying, Well, if Paul can do this, I can do this. If Paul can stand firm and God is there with him and, and we're seeing people come to, come to faith and this awareness of Christ and all of these things, if he can do this, I can do this. 
When you see people that are, are, are boldly taking a stand, it's an encouragement. I encourage you, the opportunity for this training coming on Friday and Saturday, you get to join other people, and it is amazing what happens when groups get together and just go out street witnessing. And there's a boldness with You'll have more boldness being in a group of two or three or four and sharing the gospel than you are with one, right? Because there's strength in numbers. There's this investment and understanding that even though there's adversity, we can continue on. But the difficulty is not everyone is going to celebrate those success. Not everybody was celebrating Paul's success. He gets into a section here in this letter where he brings about, there were those that saw this that were encouraged to preach the gospel without fear, and then there were those who were preaching the gospel and, and actually enjoying my imprisonment. Why? Because as I said earlier, they looked at Paul as some kind of super apostle. He says, look at verse 15, some to be sure are preaching Christ even from, note, envy and strife, but some also from goodwill. Paul introduces two classes of people that are evangelizing. The first class, there are groups of people that saw Paul and they said, look it, Paul is doing a great job. I want to be bold like Paul. There were others, and these were believers, these were not Judaizers. How do we know that? Because of verse 14 says, brethren. These are other believers that were jealous and envious of Paul that said, we want to make Paul's life hard. In fact, we're going to try to add to his distress in prison, as the text says. Why? Because if Paul's in prison, then I can, I can step up in his place into the vacuum or the void that he leaves. We've got to understand that God has given us a message. It's a message to share. Paul would write to the church in Corinth this in 2 Corinthians 4, 7. We have this treasure. What is this treasure? The gospel. In earthen vessels. So that, that word so that is, a, it's called a henna clause, it's purpose. So that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. We had the privilege of hearing a testimony this week about one of our elders who had a friend that was dying who was adamantly opposed to Christ coming to faith, I am not going to believe. Not going to believe. And about three days, and, and this, this one of our elders was visiting his friend and, and, and regularly visiting him and, and sharing the gospel. And he says, can I, can I talk with you? He finally said yes. Shared the gospel with him. Three days before he died, this man accepted Jesus. What did that take? It took boldness. Was it because our elder is all that special? Nope. It's because he's an earthen vessel that was holding a great treasure. And the treasure is the gospel. You guys don't save anybody. You are, you are powerless to save. Only Jesus is. The gospel has the power unto salvation for all that believe. You are an earthen vessel that carries that gospel forward. That gospel message that has the power unto salvation. 
instead of being a a container, become a conduit. And you don't know what God has in store and how He's going to take that message. What would it be like for you to share the gospel message with a co-worker? And you give them that seed of faith. And then later on, they suffer a tragedy. And because that seed was planted and the Holy Spirit brought water to it, then they can trust in Christ. They can come back to you. You don't know when the last time you have a conversation with somebody to be able to share. Preach the word of truth without fear. Don't be afraid. Well, what if they unfriend me? Okay. If they unfriend you, create a Facebook alias, then friend them again, and then you can share the gospel one more time. Some of you young guys are going, Pastor Curry does that? Maybe. Without fear. What is the worst thing they can do to you? Can they unfriend you? They might unfriend you, but you introduce Jesus to them. And they can't run from the Holy Spirit. They can't run from the Word of God. Now these that were preaching the truth with... Some were pure motives, some not so much pure motives. These brethren, as I said in verse 14, were trusting in the Lord, but they didn't have pure motives because they wanted to take advantage. It's interesting, these unpure motives of envy and strife, that word strife literally means rivalry within this. These unpure motives were causing, seeking to cause Paul distress in prison, and it was selfish ambition within that. Have you ever wondered why some evangelicals will start adopting theology that is a lie in order to be able to build their church and make it bigger? It comes from envy and and rivalry. Let's water down the gospel. Why? Because I want a bigger church. Truth is truth. Lies are lies. And I pity those that are, are... out for building the the bigger church. We need to speak the truth out of goodwill. What is the goodwill? Goodwill literally is thinking the best for the other. And let God's word have its way. Paul recognized that there were some that were against him, some that were speaking against him, some of them out of envy and strife, Yet, there were also those that were speaking the gospel out of love, according to verse 16. And acknowledging that he was divinely appointed. Divinely appointed, verse 16, to give a defense for the gospel. That word defense is a really cool word. Have you ever heard the word apologetics? It comes from this word, apologia. And it literally means to give a legal defense for a faith, for a belief, for a statement apologetics. As you, as you gals are going to be doing this study in the women's ministry, I encourage you to do it. Why? Because you need to know what you believe and why you believe it. Why? So you can give every man an answer for the reason of the hope that lies within you. Why are you a Christian? Could you answer that? Why should I follow Christ? Could you answer that? Why is Jesus the only way, the only truth, the only life? Could you answer that?
That's the apologetic. The apologetic is to be able to give a defense for the gospel. Why? Because it's the power of God unto salvation for everyone that believes. And people are going to question it. Sure, they're going to question it. And so you need to be able to bring the truth. Paul's opponents spent their time trying to degrade Paul, trying to put him down. Can you imagine? Notice he said, brethren. These would be people that he shared the gospel with, did ministry with, and then went left rudder on him and, 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 and took off. Would that be heartbreaking? I've had a number of people that I've had fellowship and done ministry with that have turned their back on me in ministry and left and all of these different things. Spoke bad. It happens. It happens in ministry. People will, will go out and they'll, they'll try to slander you in, in the public eye. Why? To make themselves feel better. When somebody's slandering you in the public eye, it's, it, the whole intent is to make them look better. To understand that we can, we understand that it, it's going to happen. What's not said in the text is that Paul doesn't go after them. Paul just acknowledges them. He calls them out. says, I know your motives are not pure. I know, to, know it's out of rivalry, out of, out, out of slander. But, what are they doing? They're still preaching the gospel. And this is where I see Paul shine. This is where I see spiritual maturity at its best. How? Verse 18. Verse 18, he says, What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or truth, Christ is proclaimed, and this I rejoice. What is the this that Christ is proclaimed? Yes, I will rejoice. Paul doesn't get into this debate about defending himself. Why? Because Paul is defending the gospel. He's not defending himself. He's defending the gospel. And he says, well, what then? If I've got two groups of people, some that love me and know my, my, my calling, and others that are envious and, and causing problems for me, still preaching the gospel, but they don't like me. Do I need to make these people that don't like me like me? No. What I need to do is rejoice in the fact that Christ is being preached within this. The maturity is that the message of the gospel was still going out. And he says, well, what then? Whether out of truth and true motives or pretense. I want to be a better evangelist than Paul. So I'm going to take the gospel more places than Paul. I'm going to evangelize to more people than Paul. I want, to, I want the gospel to go out to more people. As, and I want to do more missions than Paul. And Paul said, go for it. Do it. Why? Because Christ is being preached. The truth is being proclaimed. Now, with that, he's not saying, I'm enjoying the fact that they're out there creating problems. It's still in distress. And it's important to understand the fact that there's a distinction between Christ being proclaimed and lies being professed. He is not celebrating somebody that is getting a bigger ministry or having a greater impact. 
because of the lies. In our world today, there are people that are proclaiming untruths about Jesus. Untruths about theology. Untruths about God's Word. Those are not celebrated. What is celebrated? The main thing. The priority of the message of the Gospel. Paul is looking past the motive of the preacher and only looking at the message of the preacher. And, and i got to tell you, as a pastor, you know, and, and I've been doing this a lot of years, I was convicted in this. I'll sometimes get all, you know, pious and going, well, that guy, I don't know about that guy, and I don't know about that guy, and I don't know about that guy. And, and I was convicted. But what is, it, what is he preaching? Is he preaching the gospel and Jesus Christ crucified? Then I need to settle back and allow God to be God and, and, and celebrate the people that are getting saved. Do I like the arrogance behind the way he's doing it? Not so much. But let God be the judge. And let the fruit reveal the truth. Paul chose look to look past animosity towards himself. And look to see what was actually being said. And celebrating in the message, the proclamation of the gospel. Within that, we often analyze and judge the messenger at the cost of missing the message. We need to be careful about that. We need to look at the message first. What is being said? And is it true? And if it's untrue, call it out. But we also have to look at ourselves. Am I preaching the truth? Am I proclaiming the truth? Am I doing it with the right motives? The word pretense is an interesting word. It's prophesis or prophase. And it, it literally means to pretend. What were they pretending? To be evangelists? No, they were evangelists. What were they pretending? To like Paul. They were pretending to like Paul. They were pretending to align themselves with Paul. Paul says whether in pretense or truth. What is the word for truth? The word for truth is aletheia. It means absolute truth. And what is the truth? Jesus Christ is the Son of God who descended from heaven, added to Himself humanity to pay the penalty for the sins of man by offering His life as a sacrifice on the cross. And having died and paid the penalty for our sins that separate us from God, was put into a tomb dead and three days later rose again to be the first fruits of the resurrection. And anyone and everyone that puts their faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior will be saved. Anyone who confesses with their mouth and believes in their heart that Jesus is Lord and Savior will be saved. That is the truth. That is the simple gospel message. We need to be able to proclaim that truth. And then rejoice when that truth is proclaimed. 
regardless of the personal adversity that you go through. My encouragement to you today is this. Don't let fear stop you from proclaiming the truth. Don't be afraid, but be bold. Why? Because you have a treasure that is within you that has the power to change somebody's eternal trajectory. You can change somebody's eternity by giving them truth and letting them make that decision. But if they never hear that truth, how are they ever going to come to be saved? My encouragement to you is this. Speak the truth. Proclaim the truth. And do it without fear. Let's pray. God, I thank You. I thank You that we can be in this place, that we can honor You with our voices and our lives and with the truth of Your Word. Lord, I know so many times we look at the circumstances around us and we become afraid, not knowing the outcome. Lord Jesus, if if, if Paul gave us that, that example of preaching to these Roman guards, may we do the same. Holy Spirit, as we Close out our time. Have your way with our hearts. Lead us to that place of being spirit-filled and bold, speaking the truth in love. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to sing a couple of songs to finish out the service.
Your hand to say, I got never 
God, may we have boldness to stand. Holy Spirit, may you empower us for the work and lead us to those places that you want the gospel to be shared. May we not be silent, but proclaim loudly and in love the truth of the gospel that you would add to the church daily those that you would have to be saved. Lord, make us an army. An army that stands for your word and for your truth. Lord, we ask for a revival. Holy Spirit, fall fresh upon South Columbia County and beyond. That we would see many, many people come to faith. Until that day, you called to take us home. We thank you for our time in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen and praise Jesus. Have a blessed day. Thanks for joining us in the study of God's Word with Pastor Kerry Wacker. We'd love to have you join us in person for worship each Sunday morning at 9 a.m. or 1045 a.m. We also meet Wednesday nights at 630 p.m. Warren Community Fellowship is located at 56523 Columbia River Highway in Warren, Oregon, between Scappoose and St. Helens. For more information about Warren Community Fellowship or about WCF Ministries, call us at 503-397-4387. And don't forget to like us on Facebook.